Friends, if you have a Bible, please grab it. We are in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus. It's the second book in the Old Testament. You'll find it toward the front. We're in a series called The Commands of His Love. It's a series on what we know as the Ten Commandments. And whenever you think about the Ten Commandments, you study the Ten Commandments. You read the Ten Commandments. You think about how they apply to us today. You must remember what St. Augustine said many, many years ago. It is not that we keep His commandments first and then He loves us. But it's that He loves us first and then we keep His commandments. That is grace, which is revealed to the humble but hidden from the proud. Please give your attention to Maggie now as she reads from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you take your holy word and would you massage our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? And help us to be changed, not by good advice, but by good news, the good news of our Savior's love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Every honeymoon must end, and real life has to begin. Whenever I do marriage counseling with young couples, at some point in the marriage counseling sessions, we have an entire session that's just dedicated to the practical matters of life. Who's going to do the laundry? Who's washing the dishes? Who's paying the bills? Who's going to mow the yard? Who deals with whose in-laws? Who decides the vacation schedule? Who, when there's a disagreement, who ultimately breaks the tie? These are the house rules of any marriage. Your marriage has them. My marriage has them. They're, they're the household rules. And in Exodus chapter 20, God is taking his people to marriage counseling. And he's saying to them, listen, the honeymoon is over. You've been delivered out from under Pharaoh. You've been taken out of bondage. You've enjoyed the freedom that I have now given you. I have met all of your needs. And now at Sinai, the Lord says, now let's talk real practically. What does life look like after the honeymoon? And God gives his people a list of commands. The first one we saw two weeks ago. The first command is what? No other gods. You shall have no other gods before me. Literally in Hebrew it says you shall have no other gods under my nose. Get them out of my face, he says. And the second commandment is, oh, by the way, and there are no other lovers. I do not want you to have pictures of other lovers in my house. 
open your wallets, turn on your iPhones, and erase the images of your lovers. Listen, you can say that you have no other lovers in a marriage, but if you keep pictures of them and you keep going back to them, they still have their grip on you. This is the point that God is trying to make with Israel in the second commandment. The second commandment very simply says this, that God wants you to worship him in a very particular way in light of serving no other God but himself. One theologian says it like this, you may turn your back on idols, but the Lord wants to be served in no other way than he has commanded you. In other words, the first commandment points to the true God, and the second commandment points to the true practices of worship. Now, let me talk very frank with you here just for a moment. Some of you may be confused as I talk about the Ten Commandments. And this may be why you're confused, because when you read Exodus chapter 20, or when you read Deuteronomy chapter 5, the repeating of the law to the next generation, in both of those places, you don't find Ten Commandments. Now, let me say this carefully. You do not find Ten Commandments. Although Moses does say in Exodus 32, there are Ten Commands of the Lord. Here's the problem. There are actually, literally it says, ten words of the Lord. And there are in Exodus chapter 20, 14 imperative statements, 14 words or commands in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so therefore, if you grew up Roman Catholic or Lutheran, you actually number the Ten Commandments differently than Protestants. Did you know that? For example... Jews think the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God. The second commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. Roman Catholics and Lutherans believe that you shall have no other gods before me, our number one. And our number two that I'm preaching on today for Roman Catholics and Lutherans is lumped into number one. That means you should have no other graven images. And then they take our number ten and they split it in two. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or covet your neighbor's house. We combine those. Now, why do I mention this trivia? I don't really care if you went on Jeopardy. That's not the point. The point is this, that we believe it's important to talk about graven images as Reformed Evangelical Protestants. Because like I said in the introduction, it is one thing to have no other gods before you, but it is another thing distinctly to know how do you practice your religion. Because many of you say with your lips, I have no other gods before me, but there are lovers in your wallet. And you bring out their images all the time. So let's look at it together for a few minutes. The second commandment of the Lord. You shall have no other graven images. The second and the fourth, which we'll look at next week because Brent spoke on the third last week. Now I know you're really confused. Are the two longest commandments given to us in Scripture. And so let's look at number two. Why does the second commandment matter? Because you worship a God, Christian, who is different than all the other gods of the world. And if you're here and you're not a believer, Christians worship a God who is utterly different from the gods of the world because he does not use images of his presence. He uses his word. What do I mean? 
First, God created by the word of his power. It says in the text that God is not a created thing. He is the creator. This is assumed in Genesis chapter 1. And Paul explicitly says that in Romans chapter 1. It says here in Exodus chapter 20 that we shouldn't make ourselves a carved image or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. By saying the heavens and the earth and the waters, God is saying nothing in all creation should you worship because I am different, utterly different from creation. I am the creator. And when you, as the highest of creation, man, man and woman, worship anything else other than God, you are actually taking your dignity into question because you're worshiping something less than you're intended to worship. In fact, if you worship a created thing, you're worshiping something less than God. You're even worshiping something less than man because man was made the pinnacle of creation in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. Some of you, um, you have images of a career that you really want, and you don't think of them as graven images, but they are. And I know this because this is true of me. When I was in college, I was a biomedical science major, and I grew up in a family that said you could be one of three things when you grow up, an attorney, a doctor, or a businessman. There are no other options. You certainly couldn't be a minister. And so when I was going to school, I had this incredible vision of what it would be like to be a physician. And I worked hard to do everything you needed to do to enter medical school. And I realized something by the grace of God when I was a junior in college, and it was this. That I loved what a doctor was. Helping people, being able to do surgeries, all the things you associate with the image of a doctor. I loved that. The problem was I didn't really love what he did. And I began to realize that my vision for what I wanted for my life was built on a graven image. That this is what would satisfy me. This is what I needed to be, to be whole and to, be, to have value in my life. And some of you are the same way. You're in a job and you don't like your job. And that may be from the Lord or it may not. I don't know. But you have this vision that if I could just get here, then that would satisfy me. And it's not in the context of Christian worship, but it's in the context of your life that you've set up this image of the perfect life for you. And that has become the thing that without even knowing it, you have put in your wallet and you take out as your lover. This is what will satisfy me. This will make me whole. And it's a lie. Some of you experience this not with careers, but you experience it with your children. You think, if my child can just get on this baseball team, if my child can just accomplish this, if he can just do that, if he can have the privileges that I didn't have when I was a young boy or young girl, then my life will be whole and I'll feel like my life is complete. And we, we don't mean to, but we set our young 5, 6, 7, 17-year-old, 26-year-old, 56-year-old children as graven images in our hearts. And we try to make their life perfect unto our design and then we'll somehow be satisfied or made whole. We can make anything a graven image. And we do make many things a graven image. What do you make a graven image? My father-in-law was recently telling me about a Wall Street Journal article that he had read about um, 
men and women who are between the ages of 55 and 65, and if you're there, you'll, you'll know what I mean, that the, the article was arguing that men and women who are between 55 and 65 actually face what arguably is the hardest years of their life. Because they are probably empty nesters for the first time in their life. They realize that the hopes and dreams that they had aspired to when they were much younger, maybe even their children's age, they are too old now to accomplish because they can't begin again. They face the pressures of age discrimination at work and they're fearful of losing their job before the retirement age because they don't know if they can make it back in the workforce at that age. And they see retirement looming right ahead and they have decisions to make. It may also be because they have aging parents that they now don't raise their children, but now they're helping raise their mom and dad. It's a very, very difficult age. And the article goes on to say that many of these guys who are between the ages of 55 and 65, and you know what I'm saying if you're there, look back at their life and they have these dreams and aspirations and goals that they have made graven images. And they're learning to die very slowly to every one of those. And if you are in that age group, I just want you to know that your Savior loves you. And He knows every day of your life. And He is not surprised by the way things ended up. And He wants you to trust Him. God's first word, He created through the power of His word. That's not all. Number two, not just his first word, but God is a God of a written word. He speaks to you through the power of his word. The nations around Israel, whenever they had a victory or they had a moral triumph, what did they do? They built statues. They built reminders to Chemosh or to Baal or to Moloch of what he had accomplished for his people. And they, in turn, returned to these statues year after year and bowed down to them to thank them for the faithfulness of Chemosh or Baal or Moloch in their life. But, is, but the God of Israel said, listen, you are not to worship in the way the rest of the pagan gods are to be worshipped. You are not to worship me like pagans worship their gods. Because I am not a God who can be represented by physical form. Because it is out of the burning bush at Horeb that God spoke to Moses. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 4 sometime, the entirety of Deuteronomy chapter 4 is reminding God's people, do not make graven images because God is a God of his word. He speaks to you his promises. He comes to you in love through his covenant promises to his people. And sometimes when you find um, uh, examples in scripture, for example, of, of, of art, that is not a bad thing. I mean, have you ever listened in 1 Kings 5, 6, 7 of the description of the temple? There's art all over it. God is not saying that it's bad to do art. He wants you to do great art. And he's not saying, like Muslims believe, by the way, that you should have no representative art made. You know, that's actually, they can make no representative art. Christians are to do art and do, to do it very, very well. Whenever... Um, you may remember that Israel um, was in the desert. And God called Moses to make a, make a serpent, a fiery serpent. Do you know how hard it is to make a fiery serpent out of a piece of wood? Like, that's art. 
and he raised up on a pole. And what happened? They looked and they were healed. They were healed because of all their grumbling. Snakes had come to take aim at the Israelites and they were healed. And then later in redemptive history, what happens? Later in redemptive history, we find that that same snake that was carved was something that Israel began to bow down and worship, just like the pagans did. And so what happened to it? The king of Israel was commanded to destroy it. He was commanded to destroy it. The point is this. It is the misuse of an image that God condemns, not its existence or its presence. Whenever um, the bravery of kings in Israel was to be recorded, God tells them explicitly in 1 Kings 15, 16, 27 and on that you are to write it down. You know how when you read the Old Testament, it says, and they chronicled it in the book of the kings. They wrote it down. That's not because they wanted to have good memories. It's because God commanded them to be people of his word, to write it down. God has always used the means of spoken and written revelation to communicate his truth, never in images, primarily, always through his word. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says that out of the burning bush, your God had no form, no temunach in Hebrew. It says that again and again and again because he spoke to his people Israel and he speaks to you today. How does he speak to you today? He speaks to you through his word. He speaks to you through his word. And there are many of you who perhaps, um, if you're really honest, you don't really know what his word says. You grew up in Oklahoma and you just assume you do, but you don't. And I need to read it again and again and again, and probably you do too. And that's why in the back of our bulletin we list daily readings. We don't do it because we want to make legalists out of you. No, actually furthest from the point as possible. We want you to realize that how do you know what God wants for your life? He wants you to read of his word and of his love for you. And he wants you to have the framework, the worldview of creation, fall, redemption, glory so firmly in place in your life that everything you think about you think about through the lens of the truest story ever told. But you have to know it in order to think through the lens that way. So God is worshipped not by image, but images, but through the word of his power. He creates through the word of his power. He speaks to you today through the word of his power. But something very interesting happened in 4 BC, didn't, didn't it? Because now all of a sudden... Not just that he speaks to the word of his power, but there comes upon the scene the living word of his power. Jesus the Christ, who is the fulfillment of that second command. You shall have no other graven images before me. Why? Because there will be one day, someday, when my son will come, who will be a perfect representation of me. Jesus says in John 14, 9, when you see me, you have seen the Father. You want to see Jesus? Look at Scripture. You want to see the Father? Look at Jesus. God is a God of his word. And God is so much a God of his word that he wants you to know that Jesus didn't just come to stand like an idol, like is described in Isaiah 40 through 44, 
an idol that will rot, an idol that will waste away. There's a, a point where Isaiah is like making fun of the, um, the idolaters about the kind of wool that they'll give to their gods. And he's saying, well, use that wool because maybe it won't burn up. Or how about this one? Because maybe it won't rot. And he's being completely sarcastic, calling them out. And it's the same way in my heart. Blake, listen, you're a minister of the gospel, but you have so many lovers in your wallet with those pictures on it. Friends, we are quick to be idolaters. And the sooner we're able to admit that and to identify what those graven images are, the quicker we'll be able to move to repentance because the way up is always through repentance in the Christian life. It is always by recognizing that God loves you. Why? Because he hasn't just sent us the written word, but he has given us the person of Jesus Christ, his living word. That's how he's described. And Jesus loves you so much that he is able to accomplish for you everything the graven images in your hearts cannot. You want to be satisfied? It is found not in your performance, but it is found in the performance of one who came to live a perfect life for you and to die the death that you deserve because of your sin. You want to obey the Ten Commandments? You look to Jesus, who was the perfect example of obeying all ten, perfectly. And when you come against these commandments, you come up, to the, up against them like a minivan against a brick wall. You will not come out of there unscathed. Which is why Martin Luther, when he was giving an example of the commandments for his people, Martin Luther said, you cannot keep commandments 3 to 10 unless you first break the number 1 and 2. In other words, you can't kill or steal, you can't commit adultery without what? Without idolizing something beforehand. This is how Luther says it. Luther says, all those who do not keep this first commandment and practice real idolatry, even if they were to do the works of all the other commandments, and in addition, had all the prayers, obedience, patience, and chastity of all the saints combined, then it is a pure deception, outwardly honoring God, but inwardly setting up the self as a false idol. Listen, you cannot keep the Ten Commandments. cannot keep them. Unless you recognize that Jesus Christ is the one who gives you the ability to obey what God commands in light of who he has made you to be. Does that make sense? It is extremely important that we realize that in light of who you are, Christians, then you are to keep God's commands. Never the reverse, or you will be exhausted and it will wear you out. And you also will never break commandments 3 through 10 without first breaking commandments 1 or 2, because idolatry is always the root of every sin. And that is where the business of redemption is at work in your life. That is the level of self-reflection that we as a church need to be called to. Thinking about the idols of our hearts. And a way to get there is thinking about our graven images. God speaks to us in creation by the power of his word. God speaks to us now by the power of his written word. He shows us who he is by the power of his living word. Who died the death you should have died. And he rose again on your behalf and now sits at the Father's right hand. And God will one day, someday, bring the final word. That is why it says in Exodus chapter 20, he goes on to say that the Lord your God is a jealous God. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. When the Bible says that God is a jealous God, don't think of the way that you're jealous. Because God is not jealous at somebody else's expense. Like when you're jealous, you're jealous at somebody else's expense. God is always jealous in a way that gives you joy because he is trying to bring you back to recognize that there is no other refuge but him that can satisfy the longings of your soul. And if there is anybody else greater than God to worship, God would worship that thing. But he is the greatest thing in the world, as Jonathan Edwards says. So he comes again and again back to his own glory. Worship me. Proclaim my glory. Why? Because in proclaiming my glory and in finding your refuge in me, then you will be most satisfied. Anything else is idolatry. God can't worship God, but we cannot worship ourselves. Why? Because God is the supreme good of all that there is, and he calls us to take refuge in him. And he has the final word because he judges justly. And he judges justly because he became not only the one who declares what is just and unjust, but he's actually the one who paid the penalty for the injustice, isn't he? Because Jesus Christ died for you and for me. And friends, if you're here today and you don't believe in Christ, what objections do you have to a God who says, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, I love you. And I want to show you not by giving you some graven image to go after and not by exhausting you through moralism. I want to show you my love by showing you the extent of it through the death of my son. And then God in Exodus chapter 20 says that he will visit the third and fourth generation of those who reject him and he will visit the thousandth generation of those who trust him. I just want you to think about that for just a second. When we were driving home this week um, from Texas, we were almost to Tulsa, and I was, I was at my wit's end. It's been a long trip. I was exhausted. And the reason why I was at my wit's end be is because my wife was almost asleep, and my children in the backseat were almost asleep. And they kept sniffing, and it was driving me crazy. Now, you know what it's like when people are almost asleep, and you just... Their noses are running, right? It's been a long day in the car. But what was amazing to me is it was like surround sound sniffing. <laughs> and it was killing me. I just, I, oh, it was driving me crazy. And it was driving me crazy because both of my two little kids in the back seat sniffed exactly like their mother. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. It was driving me nuts. They had learned the cadence and the duration and the tone of their mother's sniff. And it's the same thing when you come to the commands of God. Why does he visit the third and fourth generation? It's because your children watch you, mom and dad. And the idols of, their, of your heart are picked up by your children. But notice God's mercy. He visits the thousandth generation of those who keep his commands. In other words, God intends to work through families. And he calls all of us as members of this church and all Christians throughout the world to trust in him, 
to raise your kids up in a way that points them not to be just obedient kids because you're afraid of your reputation, of your reputation in public being marred, but to raise up kids who trust that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy their soul. And in light of that, they began to lower the idols of their hearts and to find that they can only be satisfied in King Jesus who loves them. Amen? That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's why he says, put down your graven images, take out of your wallet your images of lovers, and move to repentance and come to your Savior in love. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a people who have no other graven image, who have set before our imaginations and our minds the beauty and grandeur of Jesus Christ, and who know that we, at the same time, are more broken and sinful than we can ever imagine, but are also more loved and accepted in Jesus than we can ever dare dream. And in that, we find the good news of the gospel. So, Lord, help us to obey the commands of your love because of your love for us. And help us not to get that reversed. And help us to raise our children up, to be quick to confess the idols of their hearts because we teach them through the confession of our own idols, how to move to repentance. And would you help us, Lord Christ, to raise our children together, to help us together grow in the knowledge of the beauty of Jesus, because that's why you've called us together as a church. And we need your help. And we need the help of your brothers and your sisters in Christ that are around us. Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.